Um, I think I, but I've obviously been uh, invited to speak, or did I ask to speak? I don't know which way it was. Um, but, you know, when you're preparing these messages and when you're looking at the Bible and you're trying to teach and encourage, you know, to live a certain way, I, I almost sometimes I feel like, oh, am I a fraud? Because, in a sense, do I live all these things out perfectly? And the answer is no. So the biggest disclaimer I want to say is I don't live out uh, the way I would want to all the things that I read in the Bible. I want to grow. I want to uh, love more. I want to grow to be more like Jesus. And I am um, in process. But that doesn't mean that we then don't look at what the goal is. We don't look forward and think, hey, how can I follow Jesus more? How can I love people more? What does it mean to be a, uh, to be a follower of Jesus? So that's my disclaimer, that I, I'm not perfect. And so don't, this, this nev- I never want to preach a message that has any sense of condemnation. As we, as believers in Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, I want to uh, preach an encouraging message that hopefully you'll take away and be like, okay, how can I follow Jesus more? How can I walk with him more? All right, so um, I'm, I'm speaking on Acts 13, verse 1 to 3. So by all means, open your Bible, uh, if you've got one, to Acts 13, verse 1 to 3. But actually, I'm going to give a lot of context before we actually get to that bit in uh, Acts 13. So I will have uh, verses on the screen so you can kind of follow my chain of thought as we get to Acts 13. Because the most interesting thing, well, not, it's not the most interesting thing. One of the, most, one of the interesting things about Acts 13 is it talks about what's happening at the church uh, of Antioch. And maybe, I don't know how well you know your Bible, but maybe you know the story uh, generally. You know, Jesus died and then Jesus rose again. And then, you know, maybe you know about Pentecost and then the church was born. But how does the gospel get from a man dying on the cross and rising again on a hilltop near Jerusalem to quite far away up north to uh, Antioch? How is there now a church? Like, what, what is church and how has it been birthed and what's happened? And so I want to explore the journey, how we get from the beginning of Acts 1 to Acts 13, just so we understand what it is that brings about, um, brings about the church. Because I want to talk about mission today, and, and, and mission really is about bringing not people into the church in the sense, not into the church building, but it's about bringing people into the family of faith. It's about bringing people into a relationship with Jesus um, because of believing, through believing in him. So how, how does this happen? How do we go about this? Well... One of the key things happens uh, at the end of uh, the the slide. I haven't got a clicker. What are we on? I want to, can I move forward? Is that going to, is that okay? Can I do that? That's great. So as you can see, the first verse that uh, I've got up, Luke 24, 49, this is what Jesus says to the disciples uh, right before he uh, ascends to heaven. He says, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this is such an important verse because if you've just seen Jesus die, resurrect, and ascend into heaven, you're going to want to start, you'd want to start sharing that pretty quickly. You'd want to start telling people about that pretty quickly. You're getting pretty excited, and they've been given the Great Commission as well, so they want to go out to the ends of the world and make disciples. But he says, hold up, wait. You can't just go and do it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, and it repeats a similar thing in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1, verse 3. And Jesus himself said, uh, which I I, I always find an absolute crazy verse, in John 16, verse 7, it's not on the screen. 
But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And do we see what, do we see what Jesus is saying here? He's actually saying it's better, that, it's better that Jesus isn't here in the physical flesh right now. It's better that Jesus isn't physically here. I think a lot of us would love to see Jesus walking and we'd love to see him. It's actually better that we have the Holy Spirit. It's actually better that we have the Holy Spirit. And I wonder how much we really believe that. <laughs> that we really believe that the Holy Spirit is better than having Jesus in the flesh with us. And he says, anyway, wait for the Holy Spirit. And as you may know, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes at what we call Pentecost. But it really is the first time that it comes. And the tongues of fire, you may remember the tongues of fire come and they go out. And they, and they speak in tongues and, they, and loads of people in Jerusalem turn to faith and it says up on the screen, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's to the, the family of God. So we see the Holy Spirit come and then we see people joining the family of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We, it wouldn't have happened without that. If the Holy Spirit hadn't happened that day, come that day, 3,000 souls would not have been added. Um, this week, I keep seeing the verse. I think I first saw it in John and Sarah's uh, toilet. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Uh, and they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount, mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait for the Lord. And here we're told that uh, before we go out, we need to wait for the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. A few chapters later in Acts 4, you see that uh, the, 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 early, the early apostles, they were um, arrested, they were punished, and they were told to not go preach the gospel anymore. And it says that they came out together, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the Holy Spirit didn't just come once in Acts 2, it comes again in Acts 4. And again, what happens when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 4, it meant that they were able to continue speaking the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit leads to the sharing of the gospel. Uh, a few chapters later on, uh, in Acts 8, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So uh, one of the things I want to think about today is, you know, we're thinking about how does the good news of Jesus, how does the story, the story of his death and resurrection, how does proclaiming him as king, how does people following and joining the family of God, how does that spread? Because it started off in Jerusalem and we see it spreading. Well, we know the Holy Spirit is so key to that. But here... In Acts chapter 8, there's a great persecution that comes. And because of that, it spreads out to the surrounding region and to Samaria. Now, if I heard about persecution in Norwich and found out that Christians were having to leave their homes in Norwich and escape to Wales, terrible. It'd be absolutely terrible. But actually, in the early church, this is what happens in Acts 8, and the gospel gets spread with it. So God uses the fact that there's persecution and uses this to spread the good news out to the surrounding area. 
and I've already spoken to a few people this morning, international students, um, who have travelled a long way, and they're here, and they're bringing the good news with them over from, uh, I think I met a girl from Hong Kong, and met a girl from the Philippines. They're bringing the good news over to here. And as, as, as you know, we want to take the good news out to Taiwan. And luckily, that isn't because of persecution. But if it was, God's still in it. We get to Acts chapter 10, uh, where Peter um, is sharing the good news. And the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So we see it spreading from Jews to Gentiles. And we see the Holy Spirit is part of the spread of the family of God. And the reason why I really want to emphasize this is the next slide, please, Josh. Uh, this is a very poor uh, picture. This is very, it took me two minutes. Um, but uh, what, I, what I wanted to demonstrate is often we see the Holy Spirit, some of us, not, I'm not, not trying to make any accusations, I'm just saying sometimes we see the Holy Spirit as, well, I was saved by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit came into me at salvation, but, and now I have to try and live a holy life, and now I have to try and share my faith, and now I have to read the Bible, and now I have to pray. Instead of realizing that the Holy Spirit came into you at salvation and all the things that we know we should do have to come through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Without the Holy Spirit, reading the Bible will be really hard. Without the Holy Spirit, praying will be really hard. Without, let alone bring people into the faith. We need the Holy Spirit. And how do we get the Holy Spirit? We wait. We wait until we receive it. And again, it's not just the once, because they received it again in Acts 4. Uh, next chapter, uh, I think if you go back a slide. No, back a slide. No, it's not there. Um, Acts 11, verse 19 to 21. It starts to talk about how the gospel gets to Antioch. Actually, yeah, two slides forward. Two, two slides forward. No, two slides forward. Oh, there it is. No, no, I want, I want the map. I want the map. There we go. So down in Jerusalem, that's where I said, that's where Jesus died and rose again. And then we've already, and when we see it spread, you know, because of the persecution, it goes kind of upwards in Judea and Samaria. And then because of Paul... We see him going up to Damascus because now there are Christians up there. That's a pain. You know, so Paul's trying to stop that, uh, and he ends up joining them uh, and sharing the gospel in Damascus. And then here in chapter 11, which we'll go to in a second, heads up, um, we'll get up to Antioch. So you see the gospel spreading up north. And uh, we want to look at how, I want to look for a minute, about how the gospel got, how the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection got to the church of Antioch. Now you can go to Acts 11. Um, it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed, turned to the Lord. So as you can see that 
there had been people, when I talked about the persecution, there'd been people spreading it to Jews. And I think that's typical, isn't it? Like if we move to a new area, we immediately try and become friends or share with the people who are just like us. When we, when, uh, that, that's kind of natural, isn't it? We want to be friends with people who are similar to us. Rarely do we go and purposefully try and make friends with people who aren't like us. And so because the Jews were just going to spread to Jews, they, they were only sharing the gospel with people who were like them. They, they, didn't, they didn't have this kind of concept, even though Jesus talked about it a lot and the Old Testament prophesies it a lot, they didn't have this concept of sharing their faith beyond their grouping. And I think that's sometimes something that we can be tempted to do, that we can be, you know, um, I don't like to necessarily self-identify myself this way, but I'm probably fairly middle class, um, university education, and so t- I'm tempted to spend time and I generally get on very naturally with people who are probably quite similar to me. But it takes effort to share faith with people who are different, who are not like me. And uh, it reminds me of uh, Paul when he writes in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22. He's talking about how he shares his faith and he says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. We, we can't just be like, I think there are certain people in our society who are just neglected because we, we don't want to approach them. And I think we need to be challenged that way. And so, the, again, looking at Acts 11, which is still there, good. Um, it says that people came from Cyprus and Cyrene and, uh, and they spoke to the Hellenists. That's the Greek-speaking people. So before it had only been going to the Jewish people. Now, praise God, Someone's decided to actually share with the Hellenists, so the Greek-speaking people. And it says, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the ESV let me down here. The ESV says, preaching the Greek word, euangelizomenoi, if you can see that. I said that perfectly. Um, That's not the normal word for preaching. Uh, That's actually closer to evangelizing. Because there wasn't a church for them to go to and preach. There wasn't uh, a big tent meeting. There wasn't Billy Graham coming and speaking in a stadium. There wasn't... They didn't go to the synagogue. They were evangelizing. They were sharing their faith. So that, preach, that word preaching is very misleading. And it's very simple that the church of Antioch was started because people were sharing their faith. And... I completely agree that we should invite people to church and we should invite people to Ricky, Rico, Rico Tice? Rico Tice. Rico Tice. Um, we should invite people to these evangelistic meetings. They're a great way to engage with people, invite people uh, to find out more about faith. But I, th- I still think the most powerful thing we can do is share our faith openly with the non-Christians that we come across. Share our faith openly without any, any shame. Jesus, yeah, I follow Jesus. Jesus is my king. I, that, that's how I live my life. And I, from my experience, people will ask you more questions. People will ask you more, oh, especially for me. People, I've had people, <laughs> I had uh, an African nurse when I was working in the hospital, an African nurse say to me, I've never met a white Christian before. Come to my church. There are a few white faces. Um, I've, I've had someone similar age to me, maybe a few years younger than me, say, I've never met someone who isn't my grandparents' age who's a Christian. 
we can just be open, share our faith, share what we live by, share why we live. And that is how this church was founded. And it's a great church. If you read the rest of the chapter, Barnabas goes up to find out what all the fuss is about in this church that started in Antioch. And he says, it's great there. He loves it. And then, uh, and then some prophets kind of, uh, and there's a word of prophecy in this church in Antioch. And they say that they, 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 they seem to have foreknowledge. They seem to know that there's going to be a drought back down in Jerusalem. And they say, hey, let's do a fundraiser and let's send money down to Jerusalem. Which I think is just awesome because they're going, they're sending money to where the place where, the, where it started, and not, you know, it'd be like John sending money back to Costa Mesa. That so that is where he, he came from. It, it it seems to kind of be against our logic. It spreads, right? We send money out. We don't send money back, really. But I love that kind of the passion, the fact that they were just they were. I've written here, they were a generous church. So the first thing we really learn about it, or we we're introduced to this church as a generous church, and Saul and Barnabas take this money down to Jerusalem in chapter 12, and then there's loads of adventure in Acts chapter 12, and then they come back up to, Saul and Barnabas come back to Antioch in the, at the end of chapter 12, and that's where we get to in Acts chapter 13, which is actually the passage that I'm talking about, Acts chapter 13. So let's have a look at Acts 13. I don't think Acts 13 is going to be on the screen, but that's why I told you to open your Bibles to Acts 13. So if you've got your Bibles, read with me, Acts 13 verse 1 to 3, says that now... There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we've already talked about the church of Antioch, how that came to be. And we see that there are prophets and there are teachers there. The prophets and teachers. Um, are there prophets in the church? There are in Antioch. Are there prophets in this church? I, I don't know if anyone would call themselves a prophet in the church. I think it's become a bit of a scary word, the word prophet. I think we associate... The word prophet with maybe someone on the God channel telling you what's going to happen in 20 years' time with a lot of confidence, and then they turn out to be wrong, and then no one ever catches them on it, and it gets really frustrating. But I think when it uses the word prophet here, I think about how in the Old Testament you had prophets who were warning, who were saying, hey, we should be going in this direction, not that direction. And these prophets in the Old Testament, they, they were able to do that because they had the Holy Spirit. And then you read, uh, if you go back, went back to Acts 2, uh, it, talk, it, it actually talks about the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 2, and it quotes Joel. It says, Joel, uh, so it says this in Acts 2, verse 17 to 18. It's quoting Joel. It says, in the last days, which I believe we're in, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So I don't think it's supposed to be this crazy, weird thing to be a prophet. I think that because we have the Holy Spirit, the Lord can guide us in our hearts and lead us and lead us in different directions. And I think the most important thing here is it's not just one individual prophet claiming to have all the authority. It's the 
a collection of people in the church who are being led by God, and together they talk and they discern which way the Lord is leading. But the Lord is speaking. The Lord is providing direction. The Lord is not just speaking to one, but speaking to the many. And I believe that the Lord can speak to you. And I believe that together you can sense and pray through what you feel the Lord is saying and get a direction that you feel that the church should go in or maybe your house group should go in. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 to 22, it's on the screen. says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And so why am I going on about this? Why am I going on about uh, prophecy and prophets? Well, because this is the context that Saul and Barnabas were sent from. Saul and Barnabas were sent from the church of Antioch, and in the church of Antioch, there were prophets. If there weren't prophets, Saul and Barnabas wouldn't have been sent. Well, maybe God God could obviously find another way if he wanted to. But the point here is that there were prophets in the church, and that's what God wanted to use. And there were teachers in the church. It said prophets and teachers. And again, we do have, you know, I'm teaching now. And this is kind of like teaching slash public speaking, and we tend to call it preaching. And John obviously does it the most uh, here. He's the most regular teacher, as in almost like an office. But in another sense, we're all teachers. You all have the Holy Spirit, and you can all read the Bible, and you can all go to someone and say, have you read this? When I read Romans 8, verse 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's really encouraging to me. So when I'm really down on myself, I know that there's no condemnation, that I am forgiven and set free, and God wants me to remember that at all times so I can live my life to the fullest. You don't have to be up here to say that to a friend. So at the church at Antioch, in the early church, there was prophets and there was teachers. And then, and then it name drops lots of people. Barnabas was there, Simeon was there, Lucius was there, Manium was there, and Saul was there. We know who some of these people are. We don't know who some of these people are. And I think that uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, is, 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 cares about credibility. He wants to show that Saul and uh, Barnabas, they weren't just rogues who went out on their own, but they, had, they were sent from a church that was authentic and real and had credibility. So he's saying, look, some of these people, you know these people, they were there. In verse 2, it says that, uh, and they were worshipping and fasting. And again, the ESV lets me down because I looked up in the Greek, and the word for worshipping there is, 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 I I think, should say ministry. Because the word in the, it's not on the screen. Um, The word is used to describe what the priests did in the Old Testament. What the Levites did in the Old Testament, they would work in the temple, and sometimes they were making sacrifices, and sometimes, of course, they were worshipping, and sometimes they were praying, and sometimes they were interceding, and sometimes they were doing all these different things. It was a full-time life commitment. The Levites didn't do that on the Sundays and then have a part-time job. It was their whole life. And so here we see this church is, is ministering, not just one day a week. They are ministering, and they are fasting. And I know that uh, there's so, you know, we've got, we've got ushers and we've got children's ministry workers and we've got worship team and we've got coffee and we've got so many things going on here. 
But let us not just think that our walk with God is just doing one thing on a Sunday, but actually ministering or our worship, our life worship is the whole of our lives. It's every day. Every day that we wake up, we are called to be ministering and that is our worship to God. Because we're not the same. Once, you, once we come to faith, we're not the same. We no longer follow our own desires, but we follow what the Lord wants. So we're following him, we're ministering to him, we're working for him. And again, going back to what I was saying uh, at the beginning, disclaimer, I don't, I don't do this perfectly. And I don't, also don't know exactly how you've been called. I was talking to one person this morning and talking about how they were um, really at this, at this time were called to their family. And I think, praise God. Praise God. But let, let us not think that we can still just carry on living for ourselves or see following Jesus as a part-time job. It's all of our lives. So this church, this healthy church in the early church was ministering and fasting. Yeah, this day and age, I think we're very obsessed with food. To the point that John Brown, when he talks about fasting, he says, if you want, you can just give up telly. <laughs> Do you think they did that in the early church, John? Yeah. They gave up... I've never heard anyone really believe that in the early church they were giving up anything other than food. They fasted. And that was a symbolic representation of saying, God is more important than food. God is more important than my belly. Is God more important to you than food? Simple question. Obviously, there are some people that probably shouldn't give up food for health reasons, and I'm kind of putting that into a separate group, just as an FYI but most of us can probably skip a meal and be fine. And uh, when I first read this, uh, these verses, verse 1 to 3, it sounded like maybe they were like, Saul and Barnabas, what are we going to do with them? Let's pray and let's fast. Let's find out what God would want to do with Saul and Barnabas. But it doesn't say that. It just says they were ministering and fasting. And then in this healthy church that had prophets and teachers that was ministering, Fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. It's one of the few times in the Bible that it, it doesn't say how the Holy Spirit speaks. It just says the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit speaks. And what does he say? He says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for what I have called them. He doesn't actually tell them what to do. He just says, set, set apart. And this word set apart, I wondered if it was similar to the word sanctify, because we sometimes say sanctify means set apart. It doesn't mean that here. Set apart literally just means to take a group of people and put a barrier up between you and them. I'm sure they would love to have Saul and Barnabas stay in that church. Um, I've been complimented enough times by John. He would love it if I stayed. As long as you give up food. Um, and what was I saying? <laughs> Saul and Barnabas are, are, the Holy Spirit says to set apart Saul and Barnabas. He has a special purpose for them. Uh, and then it says, for, the, for, the, for what I have called them for. Why? Well, I have a calling on their life. 
Now, whilst they're set apart in a special way, I don't want us to think that some people are called and some people are, are, are not. Because we are all called. If you, if, you've, if, you maybe, if you believe in Jesus even just a little bit, that's possible. Um, you are called. You've been called into a relationship with Jesus. And there's a song we sometimes sing, Jesus is calling. You have been called, and not just to believe, and not just to give your life over to Jesus, but to have a whole life transformed, to be, become more like Jesus, and to live as his representation of God on earth. You have a calling on your life. And, and, and the pro- one of the problems with the church, I get frustrated with the church, not this one. Okay, yeah, this one. <laughs> time and time again, you get maybe new church movements or even in the early church. And, and what happened over time is, I think, is the clergy get way, way up here and all the responsibility gets given to the clergy and the laity, these are old-fashioned words, clergy is like you know, ministers and elders and pastors and things, and, and the laity, which is kind of everyone else, they just come and observe. I had a story about a guy once, he, I can't remember, I don't know how he became a Christian, that's not the point of the story, but he was reading the Bible and he thought, okay, I've read the Bible, I've become a Christian, I should go to church, come, goes to church, and he, uh, and he turns up and he, sit, he gets to the end of the meeting and he goes up to the pastor at the end and says, when do you do the stuff? He says, well, what do you, what do you mean? We sung some songs and we had the preaching. Like, no, 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 I read the Bible, when do you start doing the stuff? Are we, are we really living out what the Bible is calling us to live out? Are we really doing what the Bible is calling us to do? Are we just expecting John or someone else to do it? Or are we all taking a part? I'd expect John to evangelize, but no more than anyone else here. I'd expect John to read his Bible, but actually no more than anyone else here. We are all the body of Christ. We are all the church. We are all, we've all been given spiritual gifts. We're all called. But Saul and Barnabas, there needs to be, a nece- I've written here, a necessary intervention with Saul and Barnabas. Something special needed to happen because people don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to leave to go somewhere that I've never been before, where I know no one. It doesn't, doesn't tend to happen. So there needs to be a necessary intervention to say, okay, Saul and Barnabas, you're going to go. We don't know where you're going to go, but you're going to go somewhere else. There needed to be a special intervention. And I think, and that's what it feels like has happened to us. It's been a slow process. Um, Way back when Katie was pregnant with Jesse, so seven years ago, I remember um, trying to learn one to ten in Chinese. So it's been seven years that I've been caring about the Chinese people and the Chinese culture and, and that calling has grown over time and the Lord has led us in different directions and, and we are where we are today, where we're potentially months away from being in Taiwan. And that was a necessary intervention. But why is it important? Why didn't the Holy Spirit just say, Saul and Barnabas, leave where you are, go that way? Why does he say it to the church? Why did he need to say it to the church? And I've written here, watch out for rogues, because there are people who don't have any kind of, I'm hesitant to use the word covering, but they don't have anyone who's kind of sent them. They don't have anyone who has kind of said, yeah, these guys are, are genuine, and they are, 
and we, we're sending them and we trust them. And I, I love the fact that John wants to pray for us and, and, gives, give, and is willing to give this kind of platform to us because he trusts us. And he's, he's known us for a long time. And he did a, um, you know, he writes, what's the word? When you apply for a job, you, get, you have to have a reference. John did the reference for our application to go to YWAM in Taiwan. We needed that. We couldn't just turn up. Can't just join. Who, well, who can tell us that you are genuine? Who can tell us that you are a true follower? And so it, it was necessary that uh, it was necessary here that it's the church that sends them out. So we get to verse three, and it says that after the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks in verse two and in verse three, it says they and then they fasted again. Didn't they just fast? Maybe first time they gave up food, this time it's just telly. I don't know. I'm really squeezing as much as I can out this joke, you can see. Um, um, but they gave up food again. They're really willing to do it. I don't know, I just think, I remember years ago I was fasting. You're not supposed to tell people that you fast. You, but um, I was fasting uh, every Tuesday for 10 weeks or something. And my mum came and visited, and my mum's not a Christian. And, uh, and she wanted to take me out and take me out for lunch. And she's like, and I said, I'm fasting today, mum. So by all means, you can go out for lunch somewhere and I'll have a water or some dr a drink and you can have Do you have to? Why? What, what's it really, what does it really do for you? Why, why, why would you do that? God's more important than my belly. And I do think it's a really important thing to do. And actually, we talked about so I, I, we were kind of going back a step. You know, we're hoping to get to Taiwan uh, in three to six months' time whenever the border opens up properly, and we'll book the flights, and then we'll come back, and we'll come here on a Sunday, and uh, we'll ask you all to come. I'll, I'll, I'll probably encourage you all to stand up and come over and lay hands on us and things like that, because, which we'll talk about laying on of hands in a second. But, um, but I think we're going to try and make it a bring and share Sunday. So we'll have the, maybe, I don't know if we'll do communion that day, but communion or bring and share at the end of the service and I was going to say if anyone is just willing to not eat to fast that morning so that they can um, pray for us having fasted up to that point it's not even a full day it's just it's just breakfast really because God is more important than your belly and it was a practice in this early church especially when sending people out so they fasted and they laid hands on them why, why laying on of hands? Why is this important? Why can't I just do it from over there with my, I don't know, rays of blessing? Why laying on of hands? And I, I, I don't know, but in, I don't know for sure, but we look back at the Old Testament and we see that with the priests, that the whole people of Israel laid the hands on the priests in Numbers 8.10 and kind of said, you represent us. And again, Moses laid hands on Joshua in Deuteronomy 34 verse 9. Uh, blessing him and kind of giving him that responsibility to lead them into the promised land. And after this, we find uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, it says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 and 7, some of my favorite verses, and it should be on the screen. Paul says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we had a gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So a gift of God seems to have come into Timothy 
because of the laying on of hands. There's something powerful. Maybe it is purely symbolic, but I think it at least feels powerful. When people lay their hands on you and pray for you, it feels closer than if it was just over a distance. I don't know how, how to word it, but it, it's very interesting to study it and think about why it's important to lay hands. And I, I so value when people lay hands on us, Katie and I. Because we want your blessing. We want, your, we want you to pray for us. And then they sent them out. So they fasted, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them out. And you can read where they went you want to finish the chapter at home. So to kind of provide some kind of conclusion and summary, the, the good news spreads by the Holy Spirit empowering believers to share the truth with conviction and authenticity. It produces churches who minister as one body together. In this environment, the Holy Spirit continues to speak and bring about his kingdom through believers. What is mission? It is being sent. We have all been sent. Some are set apart to move and go far away. But if that you, you're not in that category of people that have been set apart to move, then your mission is right here. Your mission is right here. I don't know if the sign's still up, but there used to be a sign that as you went out of the church that said, welcome to the mission field. And may, most of you probably know this, but right in, the, I think it was in the last census, it came out that Norwich was the most, um, the city with the least believers in Christianity of any city in, the, uh, in, this, in this country. So, you, so this is a mission field. This is a mission field. As a church, or as, in, as, as church and as individuals, are you ministering? Are you not just serving on a Sunday morning, although I encourage you to, but are you ministering in the world? And when you go out, are you representing Jesus to the world? Are you evangelizing, both on your own and maybe alongside other people? Are you evangelizing? Are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing your hope? Are you sharing what you live for? And are we as a church, as a body of Christ, still listening to the Spirit's leading in the way that we should go? I want to leave you with those thoughts. There's always more that we can do. And going back to what I was saying earlier, it has to be the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Holy Spirit because I see too many people who are exhausted and have no more energy to do anything more. And I don't want people to burn out because they're work, 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 work. But when the Holy Spirit comes, they receive power. And as the verse I read from Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31, wasn't it? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't just want, I don't think the churches need people to work harder. We need people to be waiting on the Lord, receiving the Holy Spirit, and going out and doing. When you pray, do you pray for the Holy Spirit? you pray for strength and do you wait until you get it or do you just try and keep going on your own?
Um, John's going to come up in a minute to do communion. I'm just going to pray for you all. Um, hope this has been an encouraging word, not a condemning word. I never want to condemn. I want to encourage. Let me pray. Lord, Father, we just, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you for the good things you gave us, you've given us. We thank you for the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection that makes us right with you. We thank you that we are yours. We are children of God through, through Jesus, Lord God. You've adopted us into your family. We've been given great privileges. We can come straight before your throne and know that you see us and you love us. We thank you that you don't condemn us, Lord God. You want us to live uh, our life fully, Lord God, in submission to you, which is such a good thing. And we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit, that we can work, we can do, as you said, Lord, greater things than even Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, be with us. Strengthen us. Strengthen the work of our hands. Strengthen our minds. We ask your spirit to work in our lives. We pray that your spirit would speak through, through us as we talk to our friends and our family. As we, as we talk to our work colleagues, as we talk to our neighbours, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be present, that it would bring conviction and life to those that we are speaking to, Lord God. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We ask, Lord God, that you would be with us, that you would help us, and we believe, Lord God, that if you will it, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, thousands and thousands can come to faith. We trust that you desire people to be saved, Lord God. And we pray that we would be all things to all men, that some would be saved. Help us, Lord God. Help us never try and do it on our own. Thank you, Jesus.